0: All right, so good morning everyone. If you have your Bible with you and I always hope that you do, please go ahead and open up your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. It is the first book of the New Testament and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. As you're turning there, just a, a quick uh, announcement or a moment for kudos and praise and thanks. Um a group of folks from our church gathered here yesterday to do various projects in the building, different kinds of things like that, uh, and it's just a, a blessing. God has given us this building, this facility. We want to steward it well. We want to be faithful It's good stewards over this place, so it's nice to see things happen in in the building, like uh, the, the blind in front of the, the women's bathroom, uh, or or clearing out the back area. There's all this stuff that's going on, and it's just, it's really neat, and I'm genuinely grateful for people giving up their time on a Saturday, that coveted Saturday where we want to sleep in and watch the shows, and, and do all kinds of stuff, go fishing, whatever the case may be, and for some folks to give some, some hours on a Saturday is a big deal. Thank you, uh, but honestly, what I enjoy most about that, it's not that... We get to... to Uh, Check off a a list of some things that we want to do in the the building. It's actually walking in, hearing people laughing, and people talking, and people socializing and and hanging out. Uh, Because church is way more than a a Sunday morning service. Church is people gathered together, doing life together, hanging out, laughing, getting to know one another, picking on each other, whatever the case may be. So, what a wonderful opportunity that was yesterday. We're going to have many of those and things like that over the course of the next few weeks and months and years and so forth. So keep your ear open for any opportunities like that to just get involved into like the actual lifeblood of the church, which is connecting with people in relationships. So hopefully that's enough time to get to Matthew 4. But anyway, it's going to still take a little bit of time to uh, to get there. So we started last week a brand new sermon series entitled Defining, Defining Moments. And my hope during this Particular sermon series is for all of us to enter into a season in which we really evaluate our lives, and in particular, that we would evaluate these defining moments in our lives, these defining moments that we've all experienced throughout the course of our lives, because these defining moments are not random, they're not accidental, they're not a a matter of happenstance, they're purposeful, they're meaningful, they're significant. Defining moments are those moments in our lives, those major life-altering moments that actually change our life forever. And they not only radically change who we are, they don't only change our identity, but these defining moments change how we live they change the course of our lives they change the direction of our lives they transform everything about us in that way one way of thinking about defining moments is that these major events in our lives bring us to a crossroads and in that crossroads you have to choose there's a decision to make am i going to go left or am i going to go right where which way am i going to go they force a decision so a, a defining moment is an event a discovery, and experience in our life that forces us to commitment. One way or the other, it forces us to commit to something in our life, to a particular direction in our life. So getting married. Getting married is a defining moment in our lives. It not only changes our identity, so we go from single person to married person, It not only changes our identity, but it forces us to commitment. It drives us to commitment so that change in identity from single person, I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, changes my identity into a married person where now I commit to living selflessly for the good of another, loving another, putting the interests of my spouse ahead of my own. Having children is a defining moment. It changes our identity drastically, right? It changes our identity from a sane person who gets lots of sleep into a, like, sleep-deprived zombie that, whereas before, we could do whatever we wanted to whenever, now we sacrifice and serve in such a way to help this new person, this little person, grow up into a mature adult, so you see that, it, that these defining moments don't only change who we are. They change how we live and what, and what we do. when we say defining moment a defining moment is that it redefines us. It redefines us and it sets us on a brand new, a brand new path. Um, it's not just that our view of life changes. There's a new state of action that is ushered into our life through, through these defining moments. It's like an earthquake. Just think of an earthquake. If you've ever been in an earthquake, it's actually pretty cool, Uh, but it was small, so it wasn't a big one. But anyway, an earthquake, what it does is that it shifts the the tectonic plates. I did a science fair project long ago on this. Anyway, um, tectonic plates, and it shifts these plates underneath the surface of the planet. And when these plates shift, in particular over time, the landscape of the earth is changed. And not only that, it reroutes rivers. Rivers are changed, bodies of water are changed, mountain ridges are changed. Well, it's the same way with us. These defining moments come into our life and they shift us in such a way that it changes the topography of who you are, it changes the course of your life. So, if you were here last week, you heard me share my story with many a tear, (laughs) a lot of emotions. Uh, I shared my testimony, I shared my story. And, and the reason that I did that last week was to make one singular point, And that is that God brings defining moments into our lives as a means of inviting us into his divine mission on this planet, in this world. God brings defining moments into our lives as a means of inviting us into his divine movement in this world. So all of these defining moments, these major events in my life are not random. They're not accidental. It's not just circumstance that's happening. It is the work of a very loving God, active and involved in my life doing all kinds of stuff, helping me, protecting me, guiding me, blessing me. God has orchestrated event after event in my life. He's brought unique individuals purposely into my life. He's he's involved. He's led me even when I did not know that God's hand was in my life. And he's been doing this all along in order to draw me into a better life, to replace what was and in, in some degree, right? Because I haven't arrived. But to some degree, it's still a life of kind of sin and of chaos and darkness to replace that life with a much better life, one that is actually for God's glory and for my eternal good. So God has been at work in my life, throughout my life, for my good. But wait, there's more. That it's not only for my good that God has been involved in my life. It is for the good of others. It's not only for me that God has been active and involved in doing His thing in my life. It is for the good of others. These defining moments are nice and and wonderful in and of themselves and they're a blessing to me, but there's something significantly bigger, better, greater involved as, as a result of what God is doing. It's more than just me. More than just my life. God has been at work bringing me to this divine movement in Andrew North Carolina that we know as Anthem Church. All these defining moments in my life have been about changing me, changing my identity, changing who I am, that I may commit, be fully committed to the work that God is doing in this world. So, we are Anthem Church, so I want to use a a musical illustration to make the point. So, just imagine that I'm learning to play guitar. And so, I grab the axe and I sit it on my lap and I spend a day, a week, a month, however long, learning to play a C chord. Because you got to play a C chord. If you can't play a C chord, you can't play anything. So, I'm learning. And finally, I knock it out. I do it. I play a C chord, defining moment. It's wonderful. But, is that the end? Is that the end goal? To be able to play a C chord? No, it's not. Like the point of learning a C chord is learning how to play a D chord and a G chord and an E and an A and an F and playing minors and playing all of sevenths and, and adding all kinds of chords, right? So that together I, I can play music. Now that learning that chord in and of itself is a defining moment. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. It's a cool thing. It's cool. It's nice. But it's not the end goal. And it's that that way with all these these defining moments in our life, in and of themselves, these are wonderful things. In these defining moments, these major life-altering moments, God is revealing himself to us. He's teaching us new things, showing us new things, changing us, reorienting us. All kinds of wonderful things. Oftentimes, and some of you know this, oftentimes these defining moments are miracle-ridden. Not all are like major, you know, miracles, but sometimes they're miracles. It's, it's the, the, the husband and wife, and they're pregnant, and the doctor says, your child is going to be born with like a major defect, and the baby's born healthy. Man, like God does that, and you see these miracles at work, and that's a defining moment. It's so wonderful. Is that the end goal? No, the purpose of that miracle, of that defining moment, is to point those people towards something else, to point other people towards this global song, this eternal glorious anthem that God is writing. He's using these moments in our lives, miracles or, or otherwise, to add, to bring us into the story in such a way that we are part of adding more chords to the song. So we may be a C chord, but God wants to add a D chord, and God wants to use us as a C chord to go find someone else who is a D chord to add them to the song that God is about. Wonderful moments, but they all point to something else. And this is what we learn in Matthew chapter 4, that God brings defining moments into our lives as a means of inviting us into his divine movement in this world, God is at work changing the identity of individuals so that they may be committed to doing what it is that God is doing in His world. He's changing our identity, changing us from people of darkness to people of light, that we may be committed to helping other people be drawn out of darkness and into God's light. Like, that's the point that's the point, a big movement. So let's go ahead and get into our story here. We're going to pick up things in, Ma- in ch- verse 18, Matthew 4:18. So read with me there silently. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, referring to Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So here's Jesus. He's walking by the sea the Sea of Galilee, and he's going somewhere because Jesus was always going somewhere. Jesus was always on the move. Jesus was always on the go. Why? He had a mission. He had a mission, so he's always moving. And how do we know he had a mission? Well, look at the previous verse. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus gets a mission, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In the very next verse, he's walking by the sea. He's wa- so he's always on the moon, and he's never wasting time. Jesus never wastes time. He doesn't mess around. He lived with an urgency in regards to the mission that God the Father had entrusted into his care. Everything Jesus did was intentionally and deliberately geared toward fulfilling this mission of preaching and heralding and proclaiming and shining light and telling people about God's love and God's grace. Saying, there's this kingdom There's this kingdom of God that's coming. This world as we know it is coming to an end. And then when it comes to an end, God is going to impose his majesty, his glory, his kingdom on this. It's coming. So, folks, repent. Repent of any sinful living, any darkness, of all of that. You've sinned. We've all sinned. It's okay. God loves you. Now, repent of that. Give your life to the Lord, and it's all good. It's all good. So that's the mission that Jesus is on. So he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two guys, Peter and Andrew, that ultimately we know them as two of the original 12 disciples. They become apostles, foundational church apostles. Peter writes two books of the Bible, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. These guys end up with this incredible role in the story of God that God is writing, this incredible role. But before all of that, before all of that, before they met Jesus, they were what? Fishermen. Joe Schmos. Ordinary, average, normal guys making a living, minding their own business, doing their thing, making a buck, trying to provide for their family. That's who they are. And it tells us specifically right here in this verse that they're casting their net. So they're doing what? They're actually fishing. They're, do- they're at work. They're doing their job at work. And they're fishermen. And they're doing their job. And so they're dirty and sweaty and smelly. They smell like fish, I'm sure. In, in the midst of them being dirty and sweaty and smelly, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. Jesus Jesus approaches them in the, in the midst of this, and folks, "This is what Jesus does. This is very specifically His mission. And, and I want us to, as, as we look at this verse, I want us to think of ourselves as one of these fishermen, because in fact, we're all like these fishermen. We're all d- smelly and dirty and sweaty. We're all dirty. We're all tainted by sin. Like our, our very soul is marred by our sinful desires and our sinful appetites and, and, and pursuing things that we shouldn't. And we're all sweaty because we're striving to, to the best of our ability with everything we got to, to scratch itches that maybe we shouldn't scratch to pursue fleshly, sinful, worldly things. So I mean, we're like flexing as much as we can to get all this stuff. So we're sweaty in pursuit of sin and, and we're smelly. I mean, the reality is that we all reek of lies and we all reek of gossip and we all reek of greed and selfishness and of being self-absorbed and pride and anger and lust. Like it just, it's an odor that just naturally emanates from our very soul. But here comes Jesus. Like despite our terrible, sinful condition and despite our moral shortcomings and our moral failures, Jesus meets us exactly where we are. As we are. He meets us in that place that we may receive the grace that we so desperately need. This is, this is his mission. This is precisely why Jesus came into this world. He came to seek and to save the lost, to heal the sick. Right? He came to replace sin with righteousness. And the way that Christ did this ultimately is on this cross that we sing about on Sunday mornings. We boast in Jesus Christ and Him crucified in the cross and what took place in that moment that our sin was placed upon His shoulders. He paid the price that we deserve to pay. He takes our guilt and shame and removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. And He did all of that to remove this sin from us, the tyranny of sin. Because we're all under this controlling tyranny that just mocks us and defies us and defiles us and and takes advantage of us he came to free us from the, the eternal consequences of sin and it all took place through the cross through the gospel and it is through that that Jesus frees us from addictions from brokenness from our hurts from our failures that in that moment when a person places their faith in Jesus and they believe in him our identity is changed we become a new person Everything about us changes. We go from sinners to saints. And I don't know if you know this, but this is how the Bible talks about God's people. God doesn't call us sinners. God calls us saints. Our identity in Christ is changed. We go from people condemned by sin into people who are forgiven of sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus that no matter how dirty, how sweaty, no matter how smelly we may be with any and every sin, God is willing, able, ready, to forgive us of anything and everything, no matter what we've done, no matter how great our mistakes, God is so merciful, so loving, that He will pardon us of it all. He will wipe the slate clean, completely. And many people struggle with this. Many people struggle with the simplicity and the goodness of the Gospel, that, it, that it's that easy. One of my college roommates I still stay in touch with him. And we've had many a conversation over many a year. And he's not a Christian. And he knows he's not a Christian, doesn't claim to be a Christian. And it's not that he doesn't want to be. There's a part of him, I believe, that actually would like to be a Christian. But the reason he even says I'm not a Christian is because he will literally say to me, God cannot love me. I've done too much in my past. There is no way God can forgive me. And it absolutely breaks my heart and it makes me grieve for him that he's bought into this lie that somehow we have to be good enough to earn God's favor. We have to be good enough to to come into into a relationship with him when God says, I will forgive you of anything and everything. We cannot outsend the grace of God. That is the truth. You cannot outsin God's love. It is impossible to do so, for his grace and love is that abounding. So, this morning, if you find yourself thinking like my old college roommate, I ask you to believe the truth. Believe the truth. God is merciful, God is kind, God is gentle. Loving, compassionate, slow to anger, patient. And that anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter how smelly and dirty, Jesus will approach you. Let Jesus approach you and give yourself, give your life over to Him. And if you do that, if you've never done that, and if this is the moment that you need to do that, you will be ushered into the greatest, most important, defining moment anybody could ever experience. Having their life renewed and restored. A new creation. So that's what happens to Peter and Andrew in this story. Jesus draws near to them. He brings them to their most important defining moment in their life. But Jesus is not only offering them a new identity. He's actually offering them a new kind of life, a a new way of living. So look at verse 19. Jesus says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what's interesting to me is like if if you read the story, the story is really only like three verses long. Like how fast the story moves. It's like at breakneck speed. There are virtually no details in the story. And if you'll allow me this, I actually believe it's safe to assume that there was a conversation that took place in this story that just isn't recorded here. That took place right before Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Otherwise, he is a random stranger walking up to two guys at work saying, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Like, how many people are going to say, okay? Like, like, it's, like really, that's just not going to happen. So I imagine, I think safely, that, that a, something took place. A conversation maybe went a little something like this. So Jesus sees that they're fishermen, that they're fishing. So he walks up to them and says, fellas. How's the fishing today? And Andrew pipes in, and he says, oh, it's okay. It's all right. It would have been much better, though, had had Peter, had my brother, gotten the god of fish lures. Had he picked up the god of fish lures that I told him to pick out? Because because the fishing probably would have been a little bit better. But he's stubborn. Peter's stubborn. And and again, I'm imagining things. I'm, I'm, I'm... not trying to add to scripture, I just imagine that there's some, something that took place that Jesus actually walked up to him and said, hey, let me, let me tell you a little bit about myself and let me tell you about what I'm about. Like, I'm going around preaching and telling people that the kingdom of God's at hand, so I want people to know that. And so after Jesus approaches them and engages them in conversation, Jesus brings them to this all-important, most important defining moment in their life. He invites them to a new identity to a new kind of life he makes a huge ask a huge ask of these men he says Peter Andrew will you commit your life to following me and to being fishers of men what like that you talk about next level ask right and he asked for two things specifically. Follow me, follow Jesus, right? Be fishers of men. And I want to impact those two things really quickly. What does it mean to follow, to follow Jesus? It means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus is the teacher. We're the student. And it means listening to Jesus, what he has to say, what he's teaching, adopting it into our lives, and actually applying it to to our lives, learning to do what Jesus does. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, imitating his example. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that Jesus is Lord of our lives. That Jesus calls the shots, and we trust and obey, for there's no other way. we, We trust him, and we follow his leads. I I fear that for years, people have misrepresented or miscommunicated the gospel. They've shared it in ways that I believe are woefully, theologically lacking and uh, spiritually alarming and dangerous. This is usually how it goes. You're a sinner. That's okay. Relax. Relax. You're a sinner. God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son. Jesus came, he died on a cross, and if you accept Jesus as Savior, you'll be forgiven. Now, that's true, but inadequate. It's actually insufficient. It's only partly true at best. We have to consider how Jesus himself shared the gospel. Jesus said, Take up your cross, deny yourself, And follow me. Jesus never said accept me as Savior. What he did always say was accept me as Lord of your life. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 verse 10. He tells us that salvation is the result of confessing that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is master. That he is ruler. That he is authoritative. That he is everything. To us, that he sets the tone for our lives. He sets the course of our lives. He's Lord, and we follow. A true Christian is not simply a fan of Jesus. Yay, Jesus! A true Christian is not simply a fan of Jesus. A true Christian is a committed follower of Jesus. And folks, there is a huge distinction between the two. A true follower is committed to live the life that God has chosen for us. That's what we refer to as being faith-filled. It's being a faithful follower of Jesus and choosing to live daily the life that God has apportioned or appropriated for me to live in, in my life. My greatest fear is that oftentimes and too many people are simply flirting with Jesus as opposed to being vowed to Jesus. Too many people are fans rather than followers. A lot of folks play the Christian. They know the right answers. They know where to be, this or that. They know when to stand and that you close your eyes and put your hands together when you pray. A lot of people play the Christian without any level of devotion. And if you hear nothing else this morning... I would have that you would listen at least to this one thing, and that is that a true Christian is truly committed to Jesus. A true follower of Jesus is faithful to Jesus. Real disciples are really devoted to Jesus. Like the moment that we're saved, so the moment of conversion, the moment that we, we embrace Christ and the gospel and the, the love of God for the very first time, we become a new creation. So our identity has changed. Who we are is different. We're new creation. We're baptized into Christ. We are immersed into the death of Jesus, and we are immersed into the resurrection of Jesus. And what that means is that we come out on the other side of this conversion experience A new creature walking a brand new kind of life. The scripture says we are raised to walk a newness of life, which is what kind of life? Following Jesus. True biblical faith is not simply believing that Jesus is Jesus or that Jesus died for you. And I oftentimes messes with people, and I say it often, real biblical faith isn't simply believing. Real biblical faith is believing in Jesus so much that he died for you that you now live for him. You see the difference? It is an immersing of ourselves into him, entrusting ourselves to him, yielding our lives to him, following him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. He is Lord. We've relinquished the title and we follow him. He's wiped the slate clean and now we live in a completely new kind of life. And so I ask, is this you? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you flirting or are you vowed? Are you in? Are you following? Or are you playing? Are you just playing the Christian? And folks, this morning, if you're realizing that, oh no, I'm, a fi- I'm just a fan. Right now, God knows it. He loves you. Jesus died for you. Now just repent of your sin, give your life over to him, and now dedicate yourself to follow. And you'll be given a brand new life. So what happens here? This is what's going on. Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to make this commitment. One, to follow, like we just talked about, and the other one, to be fishers of men. What does it mean to be a fisher? A fisher of men. It means to do what Jesus did. It means to do for others what Jesus has done for you. It means actually sharing in the mission of Christ, sharing in this gospel, in this gospel mission. It means being evangelistic, sharing your story, your testimony, sharing the gospel with others, engaging people in conversations, trying as much as possible to lead them to know the grace and the love and the mercy of God. In other words, what does it mean to be a fisherman? It means to be the light of the world. To be the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am, that's a title. That's a title of Jesus. I am the light of the world. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, this is what Jesus says You, you who are my followers, you who are my people, you are the light of the world. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He is giving us his title. Let that sink in for a moment. I hope it actually startles you and shocks you in a good way. Jesus is offering one of his titles to you. I am the light of the world. Now, you are the light of the world. And it should blow our minds because you talk about a brand new identity, like this is what happens. Like Jesus is, is bringing us to this title and with title comes what? All sorts of privilege. Wonderful privilege. Like that moment of salvation, God says, I am your father and I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. All of your sin is forgiven. Your citizenship is in heaven. My spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be a good shepherd to you. Folks, it's wonderful wonderful privileges scripture actually says that we are then co-heirs with jesus co-heirs shut up shut it up like this world was made by jesus you realize it's like jesus is god the world was made by him through him and for him. This world, every square inch of existence and creation, the universe belongs to Jesus. Every last bit of it, it is all his inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm going to share it with all of you. You will share in glory You will share it in abounding riches. You will share it in bliss and perfection. I give my title to you, and with it comes privilege. Is that good? Is that good? I'm going to ask for an old school. Say it out louder. Amen. There you go. But with title comes privilege, and also comes what? Responsibility. Responsibility responsibility. We are the light of the world called to shine light into the world. So we are to proclaim good news to herald this story, actually approach people in hopes of leading them to know Jesus, to know the cross, to know the empty grave, to know that this kingdom is coming one day. We are to share the same mission. This privilege, with this privilege, we get to share in glory. With this. With title, we get to share in the mission. To be fishers of men. And folks, this is not a suggestion. This is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It is an imperative. It is a command. It is a vital part of what it means to be a Christian. It is inextricably connected to this mandate to follow. Consider the first thing and the last thing that Jesus said to Peter and Andrew. In this story, the first thing that Jesus says to them is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What is the last thing that Jesus says to these two guys? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You shall be my witnesses. What does it tell us that the very first thing and the very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples is, You'll be fishers of men and you shall be my witnesses. What does that communicate to us? What does that reveal to us? And I'll tell you, it is loud and it is clear. It is a divine scream for all who are followers of Jesus to be fully committed, sacrificing time, money, effort, whatever it may be, that we may shine light and fish men out of darkness. Think about it. The entire ministry of Jesus is bookended with this call to mission and this call to mission. What does that tell us about how we should live? About what we should do? About what we should prioritize? And it tells us this, there should be nothing more important to any of us than filling Andrew in and the world with love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus, period. You know, in Matthew 4, Peter, J- Jesus brings Peter and Andrew to the most important, defining moment of their lives in order to invite them into this divine movement. Like in the midst of this most important defining moment in the entire course of their lives, Jesus is telling them, if you accept this, you will be all about bringing other people to their most important defining moment. And having tasted of God's grace and having been fished out of sin and darkness themselves, Jesus says, now you go out and fish. And that's how it should be for all of us. Any of us who claim to be a follower of Jesus, who have actually received love and grace from God, we should be busy fishing. Fishing is interesting. That that's the illustration used here because we're all fishermen. I don't know if you realize this about yourself. We all fish all the time. We are natural-born, instinctive fishermen and women. We fish for compliments. We fish for secrets, gossip, we fish for the new job, the promotion, the pay raise. We fish for friends. We fish for boyfriends, girlfriends, a spouse. Folks, we fish all the time. My two-year-old fishes all the time. Cookie, candy. They're all, always fishing. And what Jesus wants to do is to redirect our fishing instinct all he wants to do is redirect this propensity that we have for fishing he wants to redeem it so that it's pointed toward fishing for the right things like he wants us to go about our life at school at work at play at home wherever we may be and ever we are wherever we are we're casting gospel lures into every corner of our life Am I getting a bite? Am I getting a nibble? All right, cool. Oh, that one got away. Oh, well, someone else will get it. All right, you know, just casting all the time. That's, that's what Jesus wants for us. And, and I understand that this is scary for many, and I understand that, that this is intimidating. Most of us, if not all of us, struggle with this. You hear, here comes a sermon on, on evangelism and stuff, and everyone, man, if we could run out of the building, we would. But you know that you, you would look bad, so you stick, you stay there. And I know that. But I, 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 it's the same with me. I struggle. It's hard. It's difficult. It's intimidating. I hesitate to. So I'm there in it with you. There are all sorts of reasons why why we so hesitate to be about this important mandate. And one of one of them is I'll just throw this out there. A lot of people are under the impression that it's the pastor's job. Nah, all right. So. It's my responsibility as a follower of Jesus, but it's not my job as a pastor. We're all in this together. Anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, it is all of our role. If anything, you want to know what my job is? It's actually to train you to do it. Okay? Another reason why so many people struggle is that they say, well, I I just don't know what to say. So we don't even bother even attempting it or trying it. I, I don't know what to say. Folks, that's a matter of faith and trust because Jesus says that when we step into those moments, he will give us the words. That one of the, 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 the ministries of the Holy Spirit within the life of a believer is giving us the words and the thoughts and the things to communicate in that moment. And so just, tr- just step into the moment and trust him. Another reason why some people fear it, they'll say, I just don't know enough. I don't know enough. What if, I just don't know enough. What if I get asked a question I don't know about? I always say this. If you know enough to be a Christian, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share. I have a good friend of mine who spent years as a missionary in China. Every time he led someone to Christ and they accepted the gospel, every time he had them make a list of five to ten people and he, th- he made them communicate what they had just learned and received within seven days. And every time that person came back, and more than one person got saved themselves. Every time. Why? Because it doesn't take a theological seminary degree. Do you know Christ? Do you know Him? You know enough. You know abundantly more than enough to share. So just trust it. Another reason why so many people hesitate and and have this fear, they're afraid of what others may say. Afraid of what others may think. And what I ask is that we would all in our hearts push mightily against that fear. And in fact, that we would replace that fear with a different fear. May we have a greater fear of someone stepping into eternity without Christ than we ever have of what they may say about us. So I invite you to pray for courage and boldness, strength, to aim to please God rather than to fear what a coworker or a neighbor may say. Another reason why we hesitate so much is because we've never been told to do it. We've never been taught to do it. Here recently, I've had a couple of really cool experiences. I uh, I got to sit down one day with Cooper Adams. Right, And and he's 11 years old, and I I got to sit down with Carly Honeycutt. I've done this a few times. She's almost 11 years old. And and I'm doing this just to to talk to these young people, help them, disciple them, teach the gospel, come alongside their parents, speak truth and goodness into their lives. And and what I've discovered in these few conversations I've had with these few young'uns, what, what I've discovered is that there are six essential things, man, we better be all about when it comes to raising up our next generation and discipling our kids. How do we disciple and raise up kids? There are six things essential that we need to communicate with our uns. And number one, Jesus is my God meaning Jesus is not a god or anything like Jesus is God himself and I always throw in the word my because I want everyone to have a personal vesting in the gospel. Jesus, I don't want people saying Jesus is God. No, Jesus is my God. I want kids being raised that way. Jesus is my God, Jesus is my savior. He did in fact go to a cross and pay for my sin. Number 3, Jesus is my champion. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. He is a al- al- he's alive and well, folks. Right? He's not dead in a tomb. So he's my champion. Number four, he is my Lord. And the way I talk about this with the kids, because I, I and I stumble across, it, I say, "You got to make a covenant," and they're like looking at me like, "What? What the super promise?" So this is how I talk to the children: You make a super promise to follow Jesus, and that's what it means that Jesus is my Lord. Like I make a super promise. And then number five, that the church is my family. Because too many people grow, grow up thinking that the church is I- I- irrelevant or unnecessary. No, folks. We, we, with the moment of salvation, we are knit to God and we are knit to fellow brothers and sisters. Like, it's a package deal. So I want people to grow up that I'm supposed to be part of this family and these are my brothers and sisters. And number six, that the gospel is my mission. And I threw that in there because I, I asked these two. We, do you want to tell anybody because one of them getting baptized, etc.? And there was like a fear and an apprehension. And I'm like, the reason I fear it today is because no one told me when I was little to get over it. What if from the time that they're young, we start investing and pouring into their lives, leading them, forcing them even to go share the Bible and the testimony and Jesus and stuff so that it becomes normal? So that it's, it's not weird. That it, that it is a part of what it means to be a Christian. So we need to remind them and tell them and encourage them, go share your story. Go share the gospel with others. And folks, it's not just the children that need that. It's all of us. So this morning, I'm telling you, go fish. Go fish. And, and I've, I've shared different ways or... Advice to do this. We've talked about this before. We we talk about evangelism. Well, what do we call it here? We call it frangelism. So we always ask you to make a list of your friends, meaning your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbor. You make a list of people and you commit to pray for these people and you ask God for opportunities to share your story and the gospel with these people. In at first chance, you do so, and along the way, you're inviting them to church and you're inviting them to your small group, to your A-team. And to help everyone, we have these join-us cars. They're available at the desk. I ask you to grab a handful, put them in your wallet, your purse, wherever you are, and carry this with you. You never know when you have an opportunity just simply to invite someone to church. And that's not the end game, but it's a part of it. So I, I say go to the same restaurant over and over again and, and build a relationship with the same waiters and waitresses. When you go to the grocery store, go to the same cashier. You never know, folks, how God is going to use you. My point is, look for ways to fish. Cast lures. Cast them wherever, wherever you are. Be on mission and shine the light. Be the light in this world. One of the coolest experiences in my life. I'm in college. A group of us go to Cocoa Beach, Florida for spring break. Turns out that while we're there, NASA was launching a Delta rocket, a night launch. And, and I shared last week that I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but before that, much younger, I wanted to be an astronaut. So this is cool for me. And, and Cape Canaveral is north of Cocoa Beach. So on that one night, I mean, we're all go to the beach. It's 1030, and, I mean, you could... Barely see the launch pad. It was a tiny dot on the horizon. I'm like, oh, dude, how disappointing. Like I want to be up close. Oh well. And so we're out there and launch time. And this Delta rocket, man, ignition, engage, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the right command is. It lights up and it starts gaining altitude. And this thing starts going. And it starts arcing over the Atlantic Ocean. Absolutely breathtaking. It lit the night unlike anything I had ever experienced. It was the brightness of lightning. It made the moon look like a little candle. It absolutely engulfed the darkness. One little rocket. Is that not what we should do in this dark world? Is this not what we're called to do? I was certain on that night that people on the western coast of Africa could see this thing. There was no night. There was no darkness, folks. As a result, this Delta rocket. Is this not what we're called to do in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, wherever we may be? To fight back the darkness. To shine like a Delta rocket. Fueled with the very grace of God. The world desperately needs to hear this. Everyone around us, so many people hopeless in despair, marriages falling apart, children addicted to substances, all kinds of ugliness, fear, anger, wretchedness, happening around us, hopelessness all around us. And the world so desperately needs for God's people to be the light of the world in in this world. And folks, we could change the world, we can change lives. By the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, God will work in us and through us in such a way that people will come to their most important defining moment and they too will receive grace. This is our mission. As individual followers of Jesus and as a church. And this is the one thing and the only thing that Anthem Church is about. Filling Andrew and the world with love-filled love filled faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus. The story ends in verse 20. It says, Immediately they left their nets and followed Him. They received their new identity. They committed to a new life. Folks, maybe we be as quick to do the exact same thing. Jesus brought us to our most important defining moment to be a part of this divine movement. And having tasted of His grace, now follow and fish. And as we follow, we will lead others to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes and bow your heads and right now to do business with the Lord where you're sitting. I'm going to ask the praise to come forward and get ready for our closing song. And the first thing I'm going to ask, if you're in here this morning and you're realizing that you have been a fan and not a follower to embrace grace to embrace Christ. Is this the moment you give your life to the Lord? Not just to be saved of your sin, but to save to something, to furthering the mission, to follow. So is that you this morning? If you are a follower of Jesus, I ask to consider and evaluate your heart. Have you been following Him or following something else? Are you in need of repenting from pursuing other things other than the righteousness of God in His kingdom? What do you need to, to do business with God in regards to there? And the third question, the last question is, are you fishing? Have you been treating that like a suggestion rather, rather than instructions from the God who gave His life for you? If you haven't been fishing, do you need to repent? God loves you. God loves you. But are you in need of repenting and asking for God for opportunities, genuine opportunities to share the gospel? So I'm going to give you a moment just to sit there quietly with your thoughts. with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and start playing the final song. And I'm going to take a knee up here and if anyone wants to join me in commitment to this mission of grace that God has placed before us, would you join me up here as an act of solidarity and commitment to the Lord? If you are in need of accepting Christ for the first time, just tap me on the shoulder. Not that you need me for it, but I'd love to pray for you. So the praise team is going to sing. Join me up here on knee, if need be. Whenever you're ready, you can stand where you are and join them in singing this closing song. Let's ask for God to embolden us to do what it is that He's asked us to do.